This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for September 28th, 2018. In this week's episode, Apple's new Mojave operating system is out, and we've got highlights of some of its best new features. Plus, new security updates information from Apple shows they've been very busy patching exploits for its full operating system lineup. We'll have the details. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. Hey, Josh, did you check the calendar? Check the calendar? What do you mean? This is episode number 50. Oh, really? Five zero. Five times ten. We have reached episode number 50. Of course, in two more weeks, it'll be a year, but 50 is one of those great round numbers. I like round numbers with things like this. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. So to celebrate, we're going to have a special contest, and we'll announce it a little bit later in the show, so stay tuned, and you can win something really cool. But this has been a really important week, hasn't it, Josh? Because you have a new pocket computer, don't you? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, I have an iPhone XS. That's right. Not tennis. The iPhone XS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly. And and didn't you also get a new wrist computer? Uh, I, I I didn't get a new one, but I do have WatchOS 5 on my Series 1 now. Okay. Series 1. Yeah. We'll give you a cane to help you get around, Josh. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I do like my Series 1. I, I don't... I, I love some of the features that have come out since then. I don't know that I need them. But I do like watchOS 5, though. I think it's pretty cool. The one thing that I think is a little bit iffy at this point is that walkie-talkie feature. It's worse than iffy. It just... It's it's dead in the water. It, I've tried using this with a couple people, and first of all, I don't understand why one would want to use it, and second of all, it fails all the time. Yeah. It's really bad. That's been my experience, too. We, we have a few people in my circle of friends who've been trying to use it, and most of the time it doesn't work, so I just turned it back off. Yeah, same here. And if you leave it on, it's going to hit your battery, because I think what happens is it sort of keeps the connection open all the time. You know, if you're using FaceTime, you connect with someone, it takes a little while to negotiate and get the handshakes, and then you get that sort of whoosh sound or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I think the idea of walkie-talkie is that you avoid all that, so it's constantly keeping some sort of a connection waiting. And in that case, your battery is going to be hit. Right. I suspect that that's true as well, because when you have walkie-talkie enabled, any time that you lift your watch, you get that little bubble at the top to indicate that there's something going on there, which usually is something that happens when you've got a special thing running in the background. So Right. With watchOS 5, you see that if you're listening to music or something, there's a little dot that you tap, and that's the noun playing thing. If you're doing a workout, you see the little green man up there. So yes, that that's a sort of a that's the same place you get the red dot for notifications, but these are bigger notifications and they let you know that something's happening in the background. So just in in less than 60 seconds, what do you think about your new phone? Um I like it. I like Face ID a lot more than I thought I would. I thought I was really going to miss that the button on the bottom. So it works with the mask that you wear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it's, you trained it with the mask. I trained it with the mask, so that way I don't ever okay. have to take my, my mask off. Yeah. Good. Okay. So we're going to talk about macOS Mojave in the second part of the show, but first we've got a lot of security news this week. Some time ago when there was a previous rash of updates, we had a discussion on the show about the fact that Apple hadn't published any of the information about the updates. 
And they finally did publish all of it because macOS Mojave came out. And you've been writing some numbers down here about the number of actual discrete security updates in each of the operating systems. That's right. So here are the numbers. And I'm, by the way, when I say security updates, I'm going by particular vulnerability numbers that have been assigned to specific vulnerabilities that Apple has patched in these operating systems. Right. So there can be multiple vulnerabilities in a single app, or a vulnerability could only exist in one app, or it might not even be in an app. It might be in something that, that's under the hood that we don't even see. Exactly right. So Mojave has eight, iOS 12, 38, 38 vulnerabilities. tvOS 12 has 25, watchOS 5 has 13, and Safari 12, which um, was also released for Sierra and High Sierra, has 22 vulnerabilities patched. Now, it's worth noting that some of these overlap. Some of the ones in iOS are also in Safari 12 and watchOS and tvOS. Right. And that's because Apple uses an underlying technology called WebKit for rendering pages. And that WebKit technology is really embedded in every operating system that Apple uses. And so when there's a WebKit vulnerability, and, and there's some others as well that kind of apply a cross-platform to many different Apple OSs. And so that's that's one of those things that you'll see multiple times. If you actually search for these individual uh, security vulnerability numbers, you'll find them in many of these uh, posts. So is there anything interesting in these security updates that Apple released? Yeah, there, there was one thing that I thought was kind of unusual. Apple doesn't usually say anything about any particular iOS apps that they publish. And one of their apps, Apple Support, version 2.4 for iOS, has a vulnerability fixed that had existed in previous versions of the app. Now, this is something that is so obvious. I, I'm, I'm actually kind of shocked that this still existed in any Apple product. But here's what it is. Apple describes the impact as an attacker in a privileged network position may be able to intercept analytics data sent to Apple. And you go, oh, wow. So like a man in the middle attack, right? And then you read the description and it says, analytics data was sent using HTTP rather than HTTPS. So in other words, it wasn't encrypted. It wasn't sent securely. And this is like, this is a freshman error, right? Exactly right. Yeah, it's this is this is like, really? Come on, Apple. Like, I, I get when third-party developers are, are doing something like this, but Apple, really? Come on, guys. The, the, at least they did fix it, so we can clap our hands and say, well done, Apple, for finally fixing that. Yes. So, so it's interesting to know how that app works. If you're contacting Apple support, you may use that to send them data about your device. And this is logging data, it's data that maybe lists all the apps on your device, and it may have you know a great deal of information. Have you ever had any Apple support in recent times for any of your iOS devices? Um, yeah, I, I have taken my device into the Apple Store. Um, no, I'm thinking I, remote support. See, I don't. The nearest Apple Store to me is more than an hour away. So when I have a problem, I get remote support. I call them on the phone. I have Apple Care for my iPhone. And some months ago, they started a new remote system where they can actually see the screen on your iOS device. Now, they, they've been able to do this on the Mac for a while, but they can do it on iOS. They send you a link to a website, and then a, you get a six-digit code to put in to confirm 
and they can actually see your device and control it. And of course, you've done tech support for family, right? Someone's on the phone on the other side of the country and you're saying, okay, no, no, click that button over there, the one that says this, I don't see that button. So this saves them a lot of time. But presumably, if there was an error in the Apple support app that it wasn't encrypted, they might get a lot more access than just that analytics data. Mm, possibly, yeah. I, I don't know if this vulnerability had to do with that kind of information, but yeah, certainly that that is a concern. In fact, we've we've thought about discussing that on the show in the past because it's it's one of those things that like you would have to pretty much hack into Apple <laughs> to be able to break into somebody's phone using, you know, that same remote support method. But imagine the implications. If so, let's say there's a rogue Apple employee, right? Like, could they use this? And, and yes, you do have to authorize it on the individual device before you can connect to it. But yeah, it is interesting that Apple built that into the operating system on iOS. So I'll have a link in the show notes to the webpage where Apple details all of this stuff. And if you're not a security geek, it's not that interesting. But what is interesting is to see how many different things are fixed. This doesn't mean that Apple software is necessarily insecure. It means that they're just constantly discovering things that need to be fixed. And this is just the nature of software. In other news, several times we've talked about this ability of certain companies to access the content of iPhones and iPads, even without a passcode. And there's a company now that has some way of getting into, if I understand this is any phone, iPhone or Android, and all they need is a phone number. It sounds a little suspicious. Yeah, there's an article that talks about the NSO group and how they have powerful iPhone malware. Their whole business model is learning how to hack things. And the article talks about this guy who got a demonstration of this technology. And he says that, you know, after a few minutes, five or seven minutes, he says the contents of his phone screen appeared on a large display that was set up in this meeting room. And he didn't have to click on a, or tap on a malicious link, but he all of a sudden saw all these, you know, tapping on icons, his email icon, his SMS icon and other things. So someone had remote access to his device. And of course, this was set up that way. But the point is, he didn't have to do anything on his device, he claims, in order for this hacking group to be able to get into his iPhone. Right. What usually happens, and we've talked about phishing and, and other types of malware, you, you download a malicious app, it's a Trojan horse, you tap a link in an email, a phishing email. Here, it sounds like the company was able to get in. All they needed was the phone number. Yeah, that's what they claim. And they can access the microphone and the camera. There's a bunch of things that they claim to be able to do. Is this true? Yeah, it's certainly possible. It's not <laughs> impossible. This is the kind of stuff we see in movies. Who's that guy in the movies that does things like this? What's his name again? Oh, are you thinking about Tom Cruise? Exactly. Movies like oh, that, yeah. you see things like this. It does sound a little bit excessive, but hey, maybe... You know, maybe someone's found a way to do this. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's always fun to read stories like this. They always have zero technical detail. And, and of course, that's by nature, because if a company really did have a really excellent way to break into devices, they're not going to spill the beans on the details because they don't want Apple to patch it. Okay, in other news, we mention Patrick Wardle quite often because he spends a lot of his time discovering problems and security issues with macOS. And he found a vulnerability in Mojave, 
which is quite interesting, that lets hackers access protected files. Yeah, Patrick is a clever guy, and he developed some apps for macOS, and so he often finds these things, sometimes even by accident. And what he discovered this time, you know, Apple kind of made, made a big deal about putting in some additional protections in Mojave to prevent an attacker from being able to easily exfiltrate things like your address book and some other things like that. Patrick uploaded a video, just kind of a teaser. He didn't release any technical details of this flaw. See, there you go. No technical information again. <laughs> uh, well, in this case, it's not so much that he's trying to sell a product that exploits the vulnerability. Uh, in this case, he actually did report the full technical details to Apple, but he has a security conference coming up next month that, of course, he wants everybody to come to to find out the technical details. Right. He demonstrates, and he pulled, he's in this little video that he created, he pulled up uh, the terminal and he typed in some commands. And so the first command tries to do a directory listing to show what the contents of the folder of uh, this address book folder. And it says, oh, yeah, I, I can't see anything in that, in that folder. I'm not going to let you, you know, copy the data out of your address book. That's not permitted. So then he runs this little app that he developed that uses some exploit that he found, and then it's able to do that exactly. It can copy the user's address book, circumvent the new privacy access controls that Apple's put in place, and allow exfiltration of that data, that supposedly protected data. Well, just as, as a brief anecdote, there's something that's been making the rounds. You know, screen time, which we've discussed in iOS, which allows you to record how much time you use your iOS device, and you can also use it as a parental control system to block your kids. Well, apparently some seven-year-old kid figured a way to bypass it. Whatever game he was playing, he just deleted the game and re-downloaded it, and the the limit to that game no longer applied because the game was new. Uh-huh, yeah. So that, that kid might have a job for himself in about 15 years. The next Patrick Wardle. Yep. Okay, we're going to take a break, but first, I told you we were going to have a contest. We're giving away a one-year subscription to Mac Internet Security X9 Bundle that'll keep your Mac safe from the dangers of the Internet. All we want you to do is send us a thoughtful, useful question that Josh and I can answer on the podcast. Drop us an email at podcast at intigo.com. That's podcast at intigo.com. Send us a question. What do you want to learn about security? What have you always wondered why things work the way they do? If we pick your question and answer it on episode 51, you're going to win a one-year subscription to Intego Mac Internet Security X9 Bundle. You have until midnight Pacific time on October 3rd, 2018 to enter the contest. So drop us an email, podcast at Intego.com before midnight, October 3rd. We'll be back in just a minute to talk about Mac OS Mojave. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier. 
home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout to save 50%. That's Intego Podcast to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. So this week, Apple released Mac OS Mojave the latest and greatest operating system. Are you using Mojave yet, Josh? Mm, not yet. I'm one of those people that, especially on macOS, I, I like to wait a little while. iOS, I'm uh, willing to adopt the new OS a little bit sooner, usually, <laughs> as long as Apple hasn't broken some of my favorite apps. Uh, but macOS, yeah, I like to wait a little bit. I did try out the, the public preview, though. Okay. We're going to just do a quick walk through some of the most interesting features. I'll link to an article I wrote on the Intego Mac security blog. The feature that everyone sees when they go to the Apple website is dark mode. Now, dark mode for me has always been this kind of thing that you see, you know, when the TV news is doing a story and they're showing a hacker and they're in terminal and it's white text on black and, you know, it's dark. There's not much light around. The guy's wearing a hoodie, something like that. Dark mode has always looked nefarious. And Apple's introduced this for macOS Mojave. I'm not a fan of dark mode because it can be hard to read for some people. Basically what it does is it converts everything in the operating system, almost everything, to blacks and grays. Now it's not solid black. And in some apps there are different levels of grays. So the screenshot I have in the article shows Keynote and you can see that there's a slide in the middle and just above and below the slide, it's very dark gray. And the menu bar and the inspector and all that are a slightly lighter shade of gray. So it's a sort of a symphony of grays. Josh, you look like the kind of guy who likes dark mode. You know what? I use, I guess, a similar feature already, which is the accessibility feature to invert the colors of the screen. You, I've never met anyone who actually does that. Yeah, I, I do. Really? Yeah, because at times, you know, I don't necessarily want, um, you know, a really bright screen in my face. And that's a quick way that I can use a keyboard shortcut and turn on that mode. So dark mode for me is, um, uh, granted, it's a little bit more polished than using the accessibility feature. It's a lot more polished. <laughs> True, okay. Yeah. However, your accessibility feature will fill in some of the gaps in dark mode. Because if you put your Mac into dark mode and then you go to a web page in Safari, the back of the web page is still white. Whereas in your option, everything inverts, True. right? Yeah, the whole screen inverts. And so this is one of the problems with dark mode. And it, and it kind of works well if you're in Apple apps. Even mail gets dark. But once you start using the web or even Apple's news app, it's still white background. And that white stands out even more against the contrast of the dark grays and the blacks around it. This is one of those things where it would be difficult for Apple really to mess with the contents of a web page without potentially messing up the way that the, you know, the readability of that page, for example. So yeah, there are some definite differences there between the accessibility feature and dark mode. Um, I haven't really played with dark mode too much yet, but um, I'm, I'm willing to try it out and see what I think. Okay. I'll have an article on the Intego Mac security blog specifically about dark mode. 
I, I do recommend that people try it out, particularly right now we're recording. It's daytime. I've got a window to the left of me, to the left of my desk. There's plenty of sunlight coming in. It doesn't bother me that the screen is as bright as it is, but it's true that, you know, sometimes if I'm here late at night, I don't want that much light. So is your desktop a mess? Didn't we go through this once a while ago, how messy your desktop was? Yes, we did. And and I started taking screenshots, having them automatically go into a new folder rather than just show up on my desktop. Right. So there's a new feature in Mojave that cleans up your desktop. They call it Stacks. You may remember Stacks six or seven years ago in an earlier version of Mac OS X. They were in the dock. It was a collection of files in the dock. This is a similar idea. If you use Stacks, all files of certain types show up as little piles. So let's say you got a lot of music files on your desktop. They'll all be in one pile. A lot of presentations, they'll be in another. Folders all stay separate, but individual files, all your image files go in a pile. And if you click that stack, they all open up across the desktop and you can choose what you want. You can copy it, move it, open it, whatever. And then it goes back, the stack closes. I think this is going to be good for you. Well, actually, so most of the icons that I have on my desktop are folders. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, that's not going to help much. So right now I've got six folders on my, on my desktop and then like three files. So it's that, that's really not going to help me all that much. But for somebody who just has like every file that they've ever saved on their desktop or screenshots, yes. if they haven't used that trick that we talked about, that's a, a really nice way to just have everything sucked into one nice little icon instead of thousands of icons. Yeah, this will be good for those people who do litter their desktop with files. I have no files on my desktop. Years ago, I stopped that. I put them in my downloads folder. I put them in a folder in my documents folder that I access from the Finder sidebar. But for people who do have stuff on the desktop, this is going to be helpful. Another desktop feature, and in a way this is a minor feature, but it's actually kind of cool. To go along with the fact that dark mode makes it easier to view the computer, they've come up with this dynamic desktop image. And, and there's only two of them that are built into Mojave. One of them is the default sand dune image that you've seen in Apple's presentations. What happens is during the day, according to the time of day, the image will get darker and then will get lighter. Basically what it is, is it's sort of 16 images that are bundled together. And as the time changes, the desktop gets darker. So from morning to night, the desktop gets darker. And together with dark mode, this is a way of having your desktop not be so... If you have a, a bright desktop and dark mode, you're still going to have that bright light around your windows, unless your windows fill the screen. This is an interesting idea. Uh, I've seen talk on Twitter that someone has sort of reverse engineered this and figured out a way to do it. I haven't seen an app yet. It would be kind of difficult because you have to have 16 photos that are exactly the same, except for the levels of light in them. But this is something, imagine you set up a camera, you take time-lapse photos all during the day of a really nice scene, it would be nice if you could bundle them into a, a, a dynamic desktop image like this. Right, yeah, I agree. The dynamic de desktop really looks fun. In fact, that's that's one of the things that I think, I, although it's not a, a technical feature in terms of new functionality, I think it's really cool looking. Uh, the, the demo desktop that they use with the sand dune is just really awesome to watch that change. Yeah, it is. The Finder has gotten some interesting updates, and, and this is my, I have to say, is my favorite feature in the Finder. There's a view in the Finder called Gallery View, which is similar to previous CoverFlow view, but it's got a lot more information. 
you get a sidebar with metadata about the files that you're looking at. Metadata is the creation date, the modification date, the dimensions, the resolution, the duration of a music file or a video file. And you can also access these finder actions in the bottom of the right-hand sidebar. So here's why I use this. I take a lot of screenshots. I already told you my tip about sending screenshots to a folder instead of the desktop. So my screenshots folder, I'm now viewing in gallery view. And at the bottom right, I have a number of finder actions that I've set up to convert to JPEG, to scale to different sizes, because depending on what I'm writing for, the, the website or for print or whatever, you need different resolutions. JPEG files are smaller than PNG files, which is what the screenshots are in. And this has streamlined my use of screenshots. Yeah, well, I agree about the metadata. That's something that I think is really useful because even when I've just got, say, a picture that I have copied to my desktop from the Photos app, it's really, really nice to just be able to see the dimensions there without having to do anything special. I don't have to open it into a particular program and find out you know, the exact resolution of that picture. It's really great to have that metadata just on the side like that. So there's nothing special that I have to do to find that information. Yeah. So another finder feature that is somewhat related, I use Quick Look a lot. Select a file, press the space bar. You can see in a text file, a PDF, a Word file, you see an image. And there is now an annotation tool, which lets you do all sorts of things. These are the kinds of annotations you see in the preview app already. You can add lines and boxes, you can crop, you can add text over them and all that. And you can do this directly in Quick Look instead of having to open an app. Again, with screenshots, I find this really useful because very often I need to manipulate very simple things. One thing that's cool, and, and not everyone needs to do this all the time, but if you quick look an audio file or a video file, you can actually trim it using one of these finder quick actions. Let's say you've got an audio file, you've made a voice memo, and you want to erase some of it and send the voice memo to someone, you can do this in a few seconds without having to worry about which app is going to be able to do this for you. Right. This is very similar in a way to, to that metadata preview in the Finder. It saves you that step of having to open an app to do something that is pretty easy and simple to do. Yeah. And I, and I find that interesting that the Finder, the, the root of the operating system, gives you access to more features without you having to remember which apps you used to do this. Exactly, or double click on something and hope that it opens up in the right program and such. There are also some new apps. Now, we didn't really discuss this on the show yet. Marzipan, does that mean anything to you? <laughs> well, okay. So I'm a huge Homestar Runner fan, and Marzipan is the name of a character in the show. And I also know that Marzipan is a food thing, right? What is Marzipan? Uh, I've never heard of Homestar Runner or whatever that is. And yes, it is a food thing made with almonds, but Marzipan is, I think it's Apple's code name for the ability to use iOS apps on macOS. Not necessarily as is, they may have to be tweaked a little bit. And Apple has come out with some new apps that take advantage of this. It's the News, Stocks, Home, and Voice Memo apps. So these are all apps that have been in iOS. Well, not all from the beginning. Stocks has been in iOS since the beginning. I think Voice Memos as well. Home is the app that you use to control any home automation. And the news app is obviously a news app. What's interesting is that these are very, very limited apps. They have single windows. You can't really do a lot with them, but this is going to be the future of some apps that come from iOS over to the Mac. It's interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I definitely want to see what some apps look like once they've been converted in that way. 
It sounds like it's it could be a really useful feature and, and a good way to get some iOS technology onto the macOS. It's not yet clear how easy it is for third-party developers to change their apps, but you know we've seen them move apps from iOS to the Apple TV. It's probably a sem somewhat similar process. Finally, the Mac App Store has been updated. I think this is the first major update since it was introduced, to be honest. They've radically changed it. And of course, it is similar to iOS now, the way that it's organized. The Mac App Store has sections, discover, create, work, play, and develop. There's also a category section. There's also an update section. They've got a lot of editorial content. So you can go every day and learn about a new app if you really want to. I don't know about you, but the only time I go to the Mac App Store is when I need to update something. Yeah, for the most part, that's what I do too. There's not, it's not very often that I really need to go and download some new app. You know, the App Store, as we've mentioned before, is usually a good place to find apps that are usually safe to use. Usually. <laughs> but um, I don't really use it all that often. I definitely use it for updates more than anything else. So one thing to note about the new Mac App Store is you no longer update Mac OS through the Mac App Store. Ah. In the early days of Mac OS X, there was a software update preference pane. Then when the Mac App Store came out, they moved all the software updates into there. So now if you get an update from Mac OS itself, that's in the system preferences software update pane. Any other updates to apps from the Mac App Store, even Apple's apps like Keynote and Pages and Numbers, they come through the Mac App Store. On the one hand, this is kind of separating things. It's a little bit confusing. On the other hand, you'll always know if you don't ever bother to update your apps, you'll know that if you look in the system preferences, you'll see when you have an app update that's really important. Yeah, as, as long as Apple is good about notifying users, and I know that they do have that little um, alert that pops up in the top right corner of your screen whenever there are updates ready to install. And yes. so um, as long as Apple's good about notifying users when there's a critical update, operating system update, then I, I think that's it's kind of nice in a way because it sort of pushes that boring, you know, operating system update stuff out of the way. As long as users don't get confused by that and and already have the expectation that they're going to find OS updates under the Mac App Store, and when they don't see them there, they go, oh, well, I guess there's nothing I really need to do then. Well, another good thing about it is you can now set your updates to download and install automatically separately before the setting applied to everything in the Mac App Store. Now, maybe you don't want your apps to update automatically, but you do want the operating system to update automatically. So those settings are in the software update preference pane, and you can turn that on for the operating system and for the system data files, security updates, and all that, and yet still choose to do your updates for your apps when you have time and, and available bandwidth. Right, and that's really useful too, because most of the time, you know, at least from a security perspective, you definitely want to keep your operating system up to date and your apps. You know, if there's kind of a major release to some of your apps, you may want to read about it, find out the details before you actually install the update. If there's a big new release, it might have some bugs in it. And so you might want to wait until the 0.1 or 0.0.1. Okay. There's been a lot of stuff this week, security, macOS Mojave. If you haven't updated to Mojave yet, I recommend it. I've been running it on both my Macs and it's pretty smooth. One thing that I think is important to point out here is that if you are still on El Capitan, that's Mac OS 10.11 point anything, you're probably not going to get any more security updates from Apple ever again. There haven't been security updates that go along with the things that were fixed in Mojave. There haven't been those updates yet for Sierra and High Sierra. 
But Apple typically patches security vulnerabilities in the two previous operating systems, which means that El Capitan is as good as dead. So if you've got a machine that can't be upgraded beyond El Capitan, and then it's time to consider getting a new Mac at this point. And Mojave is compatible with Macs from about mid-2012 to the present. So that goes back more than six years. Okay, just one final reminder about our contest. You can win a one-year subscription to Intego Mac Internet Security X9 by sending us a thoughtful and useful question that Josh and I will choose for next episode. Send us an email to podcast at intego.com and send it before midnight California time on October 3rd. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.